the expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Presenting a bold new adventure into Lovecraftian horror and black comedy, The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program's acclaimed second series, the terrible secret of Lot X. This is startling and strange, but darling, we might be onto something here. This is why we came to Arkham after all. The Necronomicon. Whatever your intent with this book, you will find more danger than answers. In this program, our cast actually lives the terror. I. The air gives way to the crushing depths. You're drowning. You're drowning in a sea of yellow. <laughs> It's an improvised audio drama that uses Chaosium's Call of Cthulhu role-playing game and the wits of our players. These poor souls never know what's going to crawl out of the darkness. Just search for the Call of Cthulhu Mystery program or unlock all our secrets at CthulhuMystery.com. Consequence Podcast Network. There is a podcast that is a world unto itself. A podcast as boundless as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the place between light and shadow. Science, Science and, and superstition. superstition. It lies between the pit of humankind's fears and the summit of our knowledge. No, your ears don't deceive you. You're not, not imagining things. This is that podcast. You've entered the, the fifth dimension. dimension. Greetings, travelers. I'm your host, Michael Rothman, editor-in-chief of Consequence of Sound, and we've reached the end of the first season of Jordan Peele's revival of The Twilight Zone for CBS All Access. Yes, today we're talking about Blurry Man, written by Alex Rubens and directed by Simon Kinberg. But before we go all meta and step off set, let's introduce our round of co-hosts with me in the zone, starting with... Hey guys, this is the editorial director from Consequence of Sound, Matt Mellis. Um, it's a little bittersweet today, Mike. Oh, you're sad? End of, end of the first season. Aww. I've been, uh, been getting a little verklempt all day. Verklempt? Yeah. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. That's a, that's a reference to NBC's Saturday Night Live, uh, starring Mike Myers. I've heard of it, I think. Mm -hmm. But you could talk amongst yourselves. I'll give you a topic. Uh, how about uh, the last episode of... Uh, the first season of Jordan Peele's reboot of The Twilight Zone. Oh, wow. oh my God! You, you guys talk. You talk about Speak it. Speak of the devil, and, and I don't mean the devil that's uh, that's uh, busy bee diner. Uh, who's, who's, who's to my right? <laughs> this is Samantha Kuykendall, a constant contributor to this podcast, and I'm super 
sad that we're going to be wrapping this up. It's been a long journey, 10 weeks, actually nine weeks because we did the first two. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm sad to see it go. And we have a special guest today, still in Florida, mind you, but across <laughs> the airwaves, who is here? Why, this is Cap Blackard coming to you from Florida, the nexus of all realities, the same place where the membrane is so thin that it allowed a wayward duck from a planet far, far away and a dimension far from ours to be transported through the Everglades and ultimately to Cleveland. That's Howard the Duck, of course, and I am Cap Blackard. I love, love Howard the Duck. I do too. And I love Howard the Duck more than I love this episode. <laughs> Blurry man sucks. <laughs> All right. Well, as you can tell, uh, we're gonna we're gonna be going off. I was, off I was just a bit. reading an article, by the way, of how Howard the Duck's one of the worst ten movies ever. You so. know what? Not true. Um, <laughs> just not true. Beg to differ. Yeah. Um, but hey, it's really important to acknowledge that uh, my dear beloved partner Eleanor Edwards can't be here tonight, and would love to be here tonight, but unfortunately, she uh, is reporting from the toilet zone. She's very sick this <laughs> evening. Oh, that's yeah. awful. That is awful. Get well, Eleanor. Definitely, again, the brains of this uh, dimension for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I will be uh, hard-pressed to uh, keep up the pace that she has set, but I'm going to do my damnedest, and I've already started with toilet humor, so doing a, doing a <laughs> terrible job. You've got a ways to go. <laughs> anyway, I should fully introduce myself, I suppose. Um, Kat Blackard, the podcast network director here at the Consequence Podcast Network, and uh, <laughs> also uh, head honcho of the Nerdy Show Network, showrunner of the audio drama The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. Which you've probably heard promos for on this network, uh, if not this very episode. Okay, well, we're all here. This is the end. And I think we should go a little off script ourselves. This is a very mm. meta episode. You know, we literally see Jordan Peele as a character in this episode. So I figured to hell with all the segments and we just have a freeform discussion. Now, because we're not going to have a synopsis, we're not going to do all our bells and whistles, I'll give the, the quote-unquote stars and souls. As I mentioned, uh, this was uh, written by Alex Rubens. He's written for Big Mouth, Key and Peele, Community, Rick and Morty. And if, Let's not forget Keanu. And Keanu. <laughs> and I actually am a fan of Keanu. I am too. I, I think that, that definitely represents an alternate universe or reality for Jordan Peele, yeah. Uh, before he did get How do you out, he write for a cat. He wrote for a cat. He you saw cat. Keanu with us, I believe, didn't you? I didn't see Keanu. No, you didn't see that. Keanu. I know. I thought you wanted to. It go didn't see Keanu. do well at no. all, but it was still really fun, and I still really enjoyed it. It was great, and legitimately, everything this this you just read off of this guy's list of things he's done. I love those things. I genuinely love those things. Yeah, the thing that's that, that's crazy is that like if you look at all his his credits. They're they're all very meta. Oh, Community you know, is things. one of the most meta television shows or pop culture in general that I've ever seen. Yeah. Like ever. <laughs> yeah, to the point where it actually uh, um, gave me a headache. But um, well, big I'm to differ. Very. I'm the I'm the only person that's probably out there that loved um, that actually preferred the season without uh, Dan Harmon. Ooh, uh, okay. I think yeah. so. Controversial yeah. opinion. I know. Yeah. I know. I know. It's such an awful season. Well, we, and this is also directed by, as I mentioned, Simon Kinberg. Um, now, you might know Simon Kinberg as being the person to ultimately kill Josh Trank's career. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> but, 
but no, he's uh he's he's written a ton of uh ton of films. He's written Triple X, State of the Union. Oh, he's, great. He's done Mr. and Mrs. Smith. He, oh, another winner. He was the writer of X-Men The Last Stand, arguably the best X-Men movie. Um, but to be fair, he also wrote X-Men Days of Future Past, which is I the best movie. X-Men movie. Yeah. Um, and uh, he'll be uh, returning to theaters with the X-Men next week for Dark Phoenix, which will probably be the, the last x-men movie in this universe because disney uh owns the rights to it and we'll probably see jake gyllenhaal be a wolverine in a few years (laughs) which is his directorial debut importantly in terms of feature films not known as a director yeah yeah it really is because he's never done anything so this is a big week for uh for simon kimberg you know so he's got his tz episode out yeah he's got sophie turn dark phoenix coming out this weekend or is it next weekend that's it's next week. Okay, next week. Yeah, okay. yeah. Imagine but, if you went two for two. What a coup that would be! I know. It would be quite a coup. Well, yeah. let's just say it, two for two could be for disappointment because already for me, I'm just going to come out and say it. I think we've we already know based on my tone. Did not like this episode. Thought it was. I uh, thought it was um, a perfect example and ex- encapsulation, really, of what I hate about meta narratives um, and what I hate a lot about the this. Uh, revival altogether is that it thinks it's so clever um and it really for me was just as explicit with its themes as anything else this season but i really mm -hmm. like when we turned it on last night for the first like 25 minutes no i would say probably 15 to 20 i was really into it I i thought it was really smart i didn't think it was too much at first i thought some of the horror was super scary i loved the horror in it um, and it, it grabbed my attention really fast. Like you said last night, um, you're like, oh, Jordan Peele is basically playing a version of himself from like extras, the TV show. He is. Okay. That's so let's true. back up for just a second. So just to give, since we're not doing a synopsis, I'll just give a quick little, you know, log line for what actually happens. So when we first start this episode, we actually think that this is going to be about Seth Rogen, who's a troubled writer. Uh, who apparently is trying to write some sort of sci-fi apocalyptic story. Um, and we discover um, that, uh, and his wife is Betty Gabriel, who who was uh, in Get, Get Out. Out. Um, so already we're like, ooh, season finale, star-packed episode. And then we see that, you know, this writer who's been struggling, he comes up with this revelation like, ooh, I'll start the apocalypse you know, start my sci-fi story with the apocalypse. And then he sees outside that the apocalypse has happened. And we're getting the idea that already this is a pretty predictable story. And then we pull out and we see Jordan Peele do his narration. And then he breaks character and talks and says, can't we do a little bit better than this? Almost like a Wayne's World 2 sort of situation. And that's when we meet the real star of this episode, uh, who's also a big A-lister, uh, Zazie Beetz. So who's been in Deadpool 2, who's in Atlanta, one of the greatest shows that's on television right now. By far. um, Easily. Uh, And speaking of easily, she's also in Easy. Uh, It was (laughs) directed by Joe Swanberg, takes place here in Chicago. Um, And uh, has also been in Invincible. Uh, She's going to be in Joker later this year. Huge. So I love her. Love her. And she plays a writer for Jordan Peele's The Twilight Zone, who's kind of struggling with her own... Um, relationship with the series, uh, you know. Am I missing something here? What, what you know? She's struggling with her own relationships with everything. Period. Um, she's estranged to uh, someone on the phone. I'm actually not sure if it's like a, a girlfriend or like a relative. I'm not. I don't don't know if that was ever like implicitly spelled out. But yeah, she's. I mean, she's 
very tense. It's been a long, you know, it's been it's been a long ten weeks, and yeah. and the Twilight Zone is almost over, and uh, and here's Jordan Peele riding her ass, being like, "Hey, can we get in a better intro? Come on, you had one job." And then things get really weird and blurry because she eventually does write a new intro, and then when they do it, it's something totally different, and um, it's about her, and she gets you know rightfully terrified from it starts wandering off and we see that there's all the sets that we've been in the past nine episodes you get the you know we get the um the grocery store from point of origin uh we get the the bar from the comedian there's just a number of sets and in these sets is the titular character itself the blurry man and now this blurry man has been in every episode this season. And this is something that we caught when we were, you, yeah, you caught. Yeah, I caught when we watched The Comedian mm-hmm. the first time because he, um, like, uh, Kumail Nanjani's character walks out of the bar and there's like a, just a quick frame of this man walking away and it seemed like it was going to be important, but then they never touch on it. And I remember even, we even were like, oh, what if it's like Rod Serling or something? Yeah, and that was is, eight weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, respect for that because I don't remember seeing the Blurry Man throughout the, I mean, we picked out a lot of things that we saw. Yeah. We were looking for a lot of Easter eggs. I do not recall seeing anything like that. And now I actually appreciate that at least they had... Um, they had a sense of where they were going with this and what it was mm-hmm. going to build up to, and that it wasn't just added in later. I assumed because in this episode they're going, they're you know backstage, and the editor of the show or a director of the show is showing them old footage and saying, "Look how he appeared in every um, episode in the background." That I didn't see as the show actually took place. So you guys are telling me you actually saw it throughout the series, yeah. just, oh, just in the comedian, once. just in okay. the comedian. Yeah, I'm not going to see, pat my back that many times. I'd be curious to see if the character pops up in um, other ones. Oh, it does. Oh, does. It does. Yeah. So specifically, you I have did it here. you actually see it, or was it put in post? That's I, my I, looking back and seeing actually for, for for sites that have gathered them all at this point, um, I do actually remember seeing mm-hmm. uh, these characters when I was watching them. Uh, so a nightmare at thirty thousand feet when Adam Scott's character is looking at a magazine, we're pretty much, you know, distracted by seeing Kamal Nanjani's character from the comedian on the magazine cover itself. But right next to Adam Scott at the magazine stand is the blurry man. I might be wrong. The image is rather small, but on that same magazine stand, because I'm now reevaluating that same shot that of course we all saw, I think two rows below, might that be a picture of uh the Wonderkind? Yes, it is. it is. Yeah. 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 Um, and then next, the blurry man next appears at the college in replay. Um, so, and then after that, in a traveler, uh, that you could see that uh, the blurry man is actually um, in the background uh, at the police station. So that's kind of creepy. And I remember thinking that the, there's it was trying to understand if they knew understood all the characters that were in the you know at the police station at the time. So you've definitely seen these things happen. So then even in a wonderkin. Um, you could see him spotted, uh, you know, amidst the campaign workers that are busy organizing posters for um, Jacob Tremblay. Um, in Six Degrees of Freedom, the figure can be spotted um, right. Uh, it's it's out of focus in Alexa, which is DeWanda Wise's graduation photo, which that's a really deep one. Um, did mm-hmm. not def- I definitely didn't see that one. And Not All Men, um, 
this one you really kind of have to f- kind of focus but it's during a lot of the chaos that's happening on the street so that one i don't think anyone really saw because you can just... barely it's a bit of a stretch yeah it's a looking lot of at the photo yeah well i mean it, the, the difference is is when that's in motion there's a bunch of men brawling and there's just this one dude in a suit in the mist leaning against a lamppost so in that context that's creepy that's that's pretty eerie and then in point of origin um, he pushes past uh, Jennifer Goodwin's Eve at the grocery store uh, just as things are starting to, you know, really go bad. Um, and then in a Blue Scorpion, uh, this one's actually pretty creepy because when um, Jeff, Jeff, uh, Chris O'Dowd <laughs> is walking through the hall of the university, you could see uh, the um, the blurry man like off to the side. So, so here we thought the ten fifteen might be what really unlocks something. And actually, if we're going by, again, just the finale here and what we get here, it's actually spotting the blurry man throughout. Yeah. It's sort of the, it's the bigger thing to spot. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, you've mentioned all these blurry man appearances, and I feel that that actually, that does tap into something that I think is part of the, uh, one of the many malfunctions of this episode, which is, yeah, the blurry man was in all these episodes, and that's interesting. But the blurry man wasn't there as the blurry man because the narrative of this episode says, yeah, you know, there's like in the background of these scenes, there's just this guy, this like extra or something who's just not supposed to be there. And that's so weird. And yeah, that, that's a spooky little they're trying to generate this creepypasta vibe. They're trying to make it the three men and a baby like ghost. They boy. are. <laughs> yeah. They are. They absolutely are. I mean, they're definitely trying to make some sort of allusions to Slender Man. Yeah. But that's not sure. who it is. <laughs> the reality is, is that is that actually, unless he's in motion in these shots, the blurry man is not blurry in these shots. Mm hmm. And it is, in fact, not really spooky in many cases. Um, so it's a weird thing to have, like, latched onto because they're painting this narrative and they're saying, this is the reality of it. And, yeah, he's there, but he's also not really there. And this taps into another facet, which is that, you know, the blurry man ends up being, after stalking this woman, like, relentlessly, after, like, after there's a, a spooky stalkery message on these cue cards that Jordan Peele is reading, and you're like, who did that? I don't know. And then all these terrible things start happening as she's being chased, and all of a sudden, oh, hey, the terrible Slenderman-esque thing you were afraid of is, is actually just your old pal Rod Serling. No big deal. Oh, the creator <laughs> himself. You know, he's actually really violent towards her, too. Like, whenever she's in a set, he's like, throwing bot like the bottles all come off the yeah. shelf like she seems like she's in danger and she she does actually get hurt yeah yeah, yeah. she trips and falls trips and hurt. is like limping towards the end um and is very like you know blatantly terrified and th- i don't feel that that would be his mm-hmm. like way of going about it you know yeah and, and then it ends on this note of like that seems almost like field of dreams where, <laughs> you, you know, it's like, you know, you got to remember to be, you know, you can't let, let go of your childish things and just, you have to embrace all realities and, and, you know, you can't lose sight of the, the imagination. Be open-minded, the, expand your horizons. That's what the twilight zone's really about. And um, it just seems yeah. so heavy handed. And, and maybe it's just also because of the fact that it, it, it's so, it so leans on nostalgia Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's been frustrating about this series is that it's trying so hard to embrace this idea of being, oh, we're forward thinking and, you know, we're capturing the now and we're looking ahead at the future. And yet this show has been so slavish to the past, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, like even in tone, like the things I love, like I love that actually the stylistic quirks of the show are 
are just in line and in parallel with Rod Serling's original vision from down to the credits to mm-hmm. this, the music that plays over it to the way that, you know, Jordan Peele appears mm-hmm. like Rod Serling. But there, there's, there's also, it's juxtaposed against like what the show's like conceit, you know, mm-hmm. tries to be at its very core. Where, you know? where well, I, I agree. Good, so there's um, like a point in the episode early on where Sophie and Jordan are talking while he's like getting his beard brushed. Yeah. <laughs> and he seems like the most, he, I mean, it's, Obviously, he it's on purpose, but he seems so pretentious. Yeah, he's like it's heightened personality. Exactly. Just like like the he, there's thing. even like a, a scene or a part where he like insinuates that he's you know it's him now, not Rod Sterling. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, but she goes as far as saying like, oh, what I love about the Twilight Zone is that um, it's always a message. You know, it's not some idiocracy. There's always an underlying mm-hmm. message. And as much as I like that in the original series, not every single episode needs to be that way. It, it doesn't need to be. So, like, here's our message in big, br- bold print, you know, on a billboard of, like, don't buy guns or don't be mm-hmm. racist. You know, it's like none of them make you think when you leave the episode because the episode has done all of the thinking for you. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is, again, do you see where she ends up in that last scene with Serling? They're going up the steps to a library, which we find out because we see the glasses. Mm-hmm. Those are Burgess Meredith's yes. glasses when um, he's in that episode where there's been some sort of nuclear Time attack. enough at last. Time yeah. enough at last, right? He has all the time in the world to read books now, but he doesn't have his glasses. And that's just one of those series that ends with sort of this tragic irony. Yes. Again. And that, again, goes to show that uh, there, isn't always, uh, there isn't always sort of a rhyme or reason, like you say, a lesson. So it, it does fit in with... The message you're trying to get. Where I really struggle with this was this episode. We always talk every week. When did we sweat? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm usually sweating because something is topical and like, oh my god, that's really how African Americans get treated when they yeah. you know deal with the police or something like that. It's too real for me. The Wonder Kid was too close to Donald Trump for me. Right mm-hmm. this time, I was actually sweating because I thought it was a decent bit of horror that was going on mm-hmm. for the first time. Oh yeah, there yeah. was a lot of things that scared me. I mean, anytime you have a place that's just bubbling with people, brimming with people, then the next second it's empty and dark yeah. and there's no one there. I love that idea. I loved how they used the set and everything. I'm with her, and and, I, and because this is where I think I had no idea who the blurry man could be. You guys are picking it out. You guys were thinking of it weeks ago. As soon as that dude showed up, it was clear as day to me who the blurry man was from the beginning. See, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't obvious to me again because all the things that are happening to her, right? She's being attacked. It's, she's got to get hurt. She does get hurt. She trips over um, the tracks to the one camera, right? She is basically, I mean, she's in this terrifying situation. Mm-hmm. So then that's that's where I did think it could possibly be Rod Serling, right? But I, I don't get how that matches up. How does that connect? Why is Rod Serling doing this to her? How does it turn yeah. out to be that? I thought, I mean, this could have gone. I sure as hell didn't want the opening story. I didn't want Seth Rogen and that story to go. I was done. I was happy when that was over in 10 seconds. Yeah. But I just, I had no idea why this great, like, 20, 25 minutes of horror turned into that ending that got, like you said, very Field of Dreams, that, like, why would it be Rod Serling who was doing all this to her? It didn't match up to me at all, so that was strange. Because they did have, like, horror... It it felt like a horror movie. It felt like, you know, Us or Get Out at first. It was genuinely scary. Like, there's Mm -hmm. a scene where... 
um, she gets that book uh, and she's flipping through it. And oh, as yeah. she flips through it, the the like blurry man gets bigger and bigger as she goes through. And it like kind of reminded me of um, the Babadook a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Uh, but it, I was like genuinely scared the for the first 10, 15 yeah, I minutes. Mean, honestly, it's thrilling and chilling. And, you know, it's definitely, you know, leans on the horror tropes that are that that, that get us mm-hmm. all the time. The thing that's frustrating to me is that it's it the, the middle is so juxtaposed against its bookends that yeah. for me it's like it, it just felt perfunctory. Like mm-hmm. it was just like, well, we need something to get to point from point A to point Z, and it just felt superfluous in the end. You know, what it like, reminded me a little bit of it reminded me a little bit of Scrooge, where he's yeah. on a TV set, mm-hmm. and you know, again, sometimes they're filming, sometimes he's in his office, sometimes it's just a normal day, right? Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden. People disappear. Things go dark, and a ghost yeah. is visiting him. It reminded me a lot like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I actually, I mean, I, I, I agree a hundred percent. It's, it's funny. I was, I was thinking about that one because the thing was, a lot of people always criticize with Scrooge is that it's tonally inconsistent, which Absolutely, I disagree. Yeah. Like, but, but I love that about it because no, it's no, disarming. I think it's a really interesting thing. I love like, how they used the set in this. Yeah. I thought it could have done so much more. And I'll pepper a few questions in today. And I guess one of my questions might be. Could they have taken this meta route and made it a good or interesting episode? Yes. I, well, someone online actually suggested this, that I actually think this is interesting, is that why was it, you know, Zazie Beetz who plays Sophie? Like, why why wasn't it Jordan Peele, mm-hmm. you know? Why, why wasn't it, you know, he's the creator. He's the one that's, that's taking the Twilight Zone and going forward with it. So if the whole morality of this is that, you know, you got to move on and let go and move forward... Wouldn't it have been more impacting if you had the new host uh-huh. be at the center of this? Well, that's song? what I what I stopped and thought about at one time. Right? Is Jordan Peele's actually in this case sort of taking the side of well, what's wrong with just a little bit of sci fi? Can't something be entertaining? Yeah, and also have so a he's already on too? board. Yeah, he because he's already on board. And let's mm-hmm. face it, the rod the rod um, you know Serling original could sometimes also do those things yeah. too. You know, it was a mixture, right? So what I thought was interesting there was I I almost said. Is Jordan Peele almost because some of the criticism, no doubt, he's getting for this new Twilight Zone is it's been too topical, right? Yeah. It's lost some of that original idea, some of that timelessness. Um, it's it's been so in the now and gritty yeah. with real issues that we're all dealing with, right? And I felt that sometimes too, even though I thought if he could pull it off, it would be a great feat. And he's done it a couple times. Yeah, but I thought he was almost asking himself that question when he's asking when he's asking her. You know, are you sort of um, are you taking this too seriously? Mm-hmm. I wonder if he was almost sort of throwing that question out or that criticism about himself. Well, that's another part of the narrative, like that, that's that's broken about this episode is that it does it, in that moment it does present the question of like, oh my gosh, this episode's taking pot shots at this recent season so far. That's Absolutely. super weird. And then it cycles back around and goes even farther into a weird bit of satire. When, uh, as Sophie's stumbling through like the situation, running away, she's like talking to herself and all that. She has this like she's like, "This is crazy." Oh no, I can't say crazy because crazy is like insensitive to people with mental problems. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, which is in theory, it's taking social justice too far. Which one could argue, uh, if 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 someone has issues with stories that are about elements of social justice you could make that argument against this series so far so that but then what is it trying to say because that message has nothing to do with the overall message or the blurry man plot or anything like that what Mm. is it what is sophie's character arc actually about i mean that was definitely i think one of the weak points here Mm -hmm. i didn't understand and, and i think this episode's doing different things and i think it's 
It's probably trying to do too much, actually. A little which bit. has been the, which has been the, the main. Yeah. It's been a strong problem. Right. I do think Jordan. I don't think that was again a coincidence that Jordan. You know that the her lines that Cap just um, you know recited. I don't think it was. I don't think it's coincidental. That Jordan Peele says maybe you're getting a little too serious, taking this a little too seriously, because that's been a criticism of some of his episodes. I again, I agree with you. I'm trying to think how did her situation, you know, really. Going back to the idea of dark, how did that warrant all these things to go into place? Is she really the one who needed an intervention from no less well, than she's just Ron a, Serling? It's, I, I, think I just didn't think it warranted it. I, I think she, I in, in a sense that she's just more of more or less just like a, like a MacGuffin that yeah. serves as the creator of the show. I mean, she's a writer on the show, mm-hmm. and without having to have Jordan Peele at the, the front and center of it, because if we're to believe that Jordan Peele's the creator or the host. Is on or the narrator is on board already and is, is yeah. pretty much sees is on the same page as Rod Serling is at the end of this episode. Then I guess the show is not only just reflecting on itself through Sophie, but also mm-hmm. reflecting on the audience, and that's kind of confusing in a way. Oh, it's definitely and it's, confusing. I think it's it wants to do everything, including Jordan Pill wants to have some fun and poke fun at himself a little bit. Yeah, always getting popcorn, like you said, having his hair, his beard brushed, and yeah. things. I mean. They're trying to fit a lot in here, and like you said, one of the problems with the show is when you try to do too much, what you actually end up accomplishing at the end of the day. And yeah. like Cap said, I, I agree. I don't understand what the arc was. I don't understand why she's the one who needed an intervention from Rod Serling. Really. Well, it's from her flashback that we see throughout the episode, where she's mm-hmm. a little girl and her dad is basically telling the mom like she needs to go out and talk with friends and not be so in tune with the television, you see that her obsession goes back like decades. Like she's been obsessed with the series as a young child. So I think that's why, you know, this Rod Serling picks her, you know, to kind of reach out to. But that being said, I still just don't think it was executed properly. I still was kind of like, okay, so just because she really liked the series as a kid, like everyone else, this is what's happening to her. Like this horror movie turned... Oh, like frequency basically is what it felt like to me by the end of it. Like this, like someone that's been terrorizing her for, and I'd like to mention that it's also the shortest episode of the season for Mm -hmm. 37 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden is like this friendly, you know, Casper, the friendly ghost at the end of it. And again, to go back to the idea of why she's so special. I mean, aren't we guilty of every, you know, thing she's guilty of too. I mean, just, well, and I think that's you know, what it's supposed like to do. Not, not spreading her horizons out. Like sometimes always wanting neat and tidy answers to things. Well, she seems to be the Rosetta stone for like, you know, for what this, you know, who for the audience, basically, you know, it's, it's the writer, yeah. it's the critic, it's the viewer, which is a lot to my, put my on problem one is character. When they do that, then it almost just skip everything that goes into the middle, skip that whole arc. You almost just go back to the, the end and remember like, Hey guys, we're in the Twilight Zone. Remember, this is where you got to keep an open mind. This is where anything can happen. Don't lose that imagination. Don't lose what makes it magical. You know, that that's almost like I have to skip right from if if she's kind of representing everyone, I have to skip right to that as the whole point. Yeah. And again, it was it was very field of dreams. But, you, but, yours, but you, exactly. And the, and the thing that I have a problem with it is that, all right, I get the core themes of this episode because, I mean, who couldn't at the end of this episode? He literally spells it out for you and says it as much as possible. But is it really necessary? What do we need to learn from this? So what I got like, from the closing monologue, um, and I discussed with this with you last night, was basically 
him telling us like, hey, keep an open mind. It almost felt yeah. like Jordan Peele and like the writers had seen the reviews of these episodes and then were like, let's basically tell our audience to, hey, this is a new version of the Twilight Zone. Stop comparing us to the old one and broaden your horizons. Be, you know, be open to new realities. So I felt like essentially his closing narrative was stop being dicks about not liking the series because it's new and it's something different and give us a chance. Mm-hmm. And then what do they do? They cue right into the season two uh, theme of the Twilight Zone that we all know. Yeah. As they're heading into season two. Well, because they've been picked up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you want to get conspiratorial about it, you could say that, well, we got this screener extremely late. Mm-hmm. And the uh, Rod Serling composite that they created was very poorly done. And yeah. maybe it, maybe because of the the, the short um, running time and all that, maybe it was chopped to pieces at the last minute to create some kind of different narrative. Maybe that's why it's so confusing. Maybe that's why it's mm-hmm. so imbalanced. Maybe that's why it doesn't have a clear message. And I read, actually, that three different artists had to work on the CGI version of Serling. Mm-hmm. And... I'm sorry, but I've seen better, you know, I've seen better versions of that and like holograms for, at like the fucking Super Bowl or something. Well, you've seen Tupac better versions better of it. 10 years ago. You've seen better versions in the Tower of Terror ride for Christ's exactly. sake. Exactly. Awful. Which like, reminded me of that, by the way. That was one of my illusions. That's <laughs> one of my favorite rides. And so basically what I got from the CGI version was he looks like it, it all feels like a video game. Even when he like kind of turns to the side and opens the door for her to walk through, it feels like the beginning of some like I, EA games when I was little. Oh, it does. And well, I mean, Cap and I were joking online today that I was like the, the CGI that's used in Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, which was a movie that takes that was from 2001 <laughs> was better than this. Well, and what's more, uh, as you mentioned, Tower of Terror, that was like, I don't know, 20 years ago or something. And that was yeah. done exactly. with, uh, by compositing like, a, I, I believe, mouth flaps from Serling or a stand-in actor and footage of Serling and an impersonator, which is essentially the same thing here. Because, yeah, it was, as Sammy said, three separate individuals. One was playing the body, one was playing the voice, and one was playing the face. But again, the, the question I want to like, the stress is like, and, and definitely please go, jump on this. Is why is this necessary to, to for these themes right now? Like, d- doesn't this dis- discredit and disassociate you from the entire revival? Oh, I completely agree. Well, because what I like about the original series so much is that there's not an underlying thing connecting all of them together. And it was like, mm-hmm. just because it's your finale doesn't mean that you need to make everything in this whole series like kind of come mm-hmm. together. They're standalone episodes. It should go without saying that they all happen in the fifth dimension. This is all within the Twilight Zone. We don't need this final episode. If you're going to go meta, fine, whatever. But don't bring Serling in here to make it seem like, oh, we've been putting this blurry man in every episode and everything connects. It's like, that's not what's fun about the Twilight Zone. What's fun about the Twilight Zone is that you can tune into any episode, any season, and it's something different that you don't need to have watched the previous. There's no underlying connection. It's also like, like slightly, and maybe this is just you know, being mean-spirited, but it's a little slightly pretentious. Oh, yes. Too. No, not slightly. <laughs> Completely. It is, yeah. <laughs> like, to be like, oh, yeah, no, my, you know, the, the ghost of Serling's been through all these episodes or whatever. I, it just seems so, like, presumptive in a way. And I know that seems ridiculous considering that I'm being presumptive of, you know, a man who's been dead for decades. But it, it just, for me, was just, it, they over, you know, to quote Billy Crystal, <laughs> they went too far. 
And yeah. and honestly, like even the premise of this, you know, you had mentioned last night, there's nothing really original about this premise no. either because they did this in the original exactly. series. So I you know we're not, you know, sticking to a script, but obviously like I got a couple things for light and shadow. Mm. And this episode reminded me a lot of a world of his own. It's from season one. In fact, it's a season one finale. It is the finale. Yeah. yeah. And basically it's about a writer who... Um, can the things that he writes about or the like people that he characters he writes about come to life which and is literally what Seth Rogen exactly. Seth Rogen and cuts. then at the very end right. of the episode Rod Serling walks out and does his ending monologue mm-hmm. but then the writer is basically like no don't say that stuff like they break the fourth wall and they talk to each other and then it's insinuated when he like um crumples up his paper and throws it into the fire that he's been controlling the twilight zone or the stories mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and that's a fine way to do that there's no moral in that. It's just a weird story. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so if they had just done that without trying to put the moral in, it's like that's the Twilight Zone doesn't always have to have a moral. Or if it does, yeah. you can walk away and kind of think about it. Yeah, but it. the thing is, is like but my point is that it's just like they they play it in this sense here as it's as if it's being this sort of like modern sort of like, you know, clever um, twist in this sense. And it's not. No. And it's like and it's so no. it, it's so emblematic of this weird, you know, one foot in the door, one foot out of mm-hmm. like, well, we want to be in the future, but we also are still so fucking entrenched in the past. And that's my frustration with this episode, yeah. you know, it, it, and that's in like, you know, that's something that I don't think the show really knows how to contend with. I, I mean, maybe they're walking into the distance because season two is going to be like much more like the original in that it is not connected and all we're going to say, say goodbye to all the weird little Easter eggs and everything. But that even then, why did we have to have that meta dialogue? That's irrelevant. And, yeah. then, and then if you knew that you were going to do that enough to have written this episode, why did you waste our time with the episodes in this season that did fall short? And you knew it fell short. Yeah. Is that how you took the line when Serling turns to Sophie Gelson and says, um, we have a lot more work to do or you have a lot more work to do? Is that, is that what we're talking about? Well, I guess. I mean, I, I, was I, I think it's the idea that, like, you know, they're going to go through the door and we're going to be, you know, this is this is just begun, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is the real Twilight Zone. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, I don't even know if it has to be just, like, the real Twilight Zone. It just seems as if this, like, mm-hmm. this, like, clever sort of, you know, and this is why I can't stand meta stuff shit to sit sometimes because it thinks it's so fucking clever and it's not. And, like, and for me, it's, like, it was just it was just frustrating to think like they they felt it was necessary to even have this like i thought that like what what was so great about this is that you know especially in those first two episodes and we could talk about the whole season as a whole at this point now because i'm going to start doing that mm-hmm. is that there was a confidence and a swagger to those first two episodes that this episode particularly you know the blurry man episode absolutely unravels because then it becomes this whole sort of thing of like you know, a like we're so clever, even though we're just literally copying the first season finale mm-hmm. uh, of the original series. And oh. then B, it it, it like it is it, supposed to suppose that the the ghost of Rod Serling was supposed to be like you know a part and lingering through all these episodes, which is so ridiculous yeah, to me. But like, we also always say, "Hey, Grandpa's looking down on us now and smiling." Which is like because I genuinely don't think he would like these episodes. Like, no. I, I, you know, I don't think he would. And his yeah. daughter actually is a contributing producer to the show. Yeah. So I feel that they obviously had to have get gotten the okay from her, you know, or like to do something of his likelihood. Like, don't don't you have to get approval it's, from the yeah, living family oh, members? Yeah. yeah, it's a so leap, she, and it's sixty years later. So I'm not comfortable saying whether I think 
Rod would like it or not. I, I mean, either way, painting him as like the severe threat that the blurry man represents oh, yeah, yeah, is that. not okay and makes no fucking sense. It doesn't. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, but for the whole series, I, I think up to I that. I mean, sure, I think that, that there are things that he would like about it, but I just, I think that he would be like, this wasn't what I was trying to do, you know? I think it's always, but I think it's always in the same way, an honor in a sense. That of course. Something you're creating is carrying on. I agree with Cap 100%. I have no idea why Rod Serling was a villain here. Yeah, I I mean, I guess you could make the argument that like Serling was trying to show the different elements that are in the Twilight Zone Mm -hmm. to this writer, yeah, and to show that sense of like that that it could be you could feel as it's it's if it's a part of a reality because she you know in the beginning of the episode she's just like. You know, I'm not really big on the you know whole up, genre thing up, and stuff. I'll say one word for you: up the fucking stakes a little bit. That this writer kind of gets that. True, but like I think like it doesn't you know, do enough for me. You get to see all the elements that you know would have there, whether it's you know mm-hmm. the 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 horror, whether it's the science fiction yeah. of an apocalypse, whether it's even the superstition. Because there's one part where she even like walks by like a you know a ladder and a couple other things, you know, the mirrors. So I could get that you can make the argument that like the, the, the sort of surling blurry man is trying mm-hmm. to just kind of walk her through these things and try to show and reveal that, you know, while they might feel far reaching and well, imaginative, nearly, they are reality. Well, nearly killing her with the bottles of liquor and uh, books. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't <laughs> die in any of these things. But if you, if you want to take that message of like, of like a writer struggling with what the twilight zone is or isn't and journeying into the twilight zone and being inducted by Serling and just, you know, take out, take out the weird, like, like stalking threat thing that mm-hmm. happens, sure. then that would have been a, a logical thing to start the season with, like not end the season because when you end it in the season with it, it's just extraordinarily confusing because it's, it presents the idea that it's trying to say something about what we've just watched. And all that does is confuse it and make bad episodes worse. Yeah. Those yeah. are my those are my questions. Um, I one I was going to ask, you know, I asked already. You know, is there a way to have ended this that makes it actually a decent episode? And the other thing I was thinking about too, I was thinking about a lot of things. Um, I was thinking if this was the first episode, would would it have been actually more logical if it was the first episode? But then again, I'm trying to think like that would have been a really dissatisfying, you know, <laughs> entry point for me too. I wouldn't have been happy with that. Mm-hmm. I will say, I think this episode did a few things for me that I thought were interesting. I thought it did horror for the first time mm-hmm. really well this season, which is something that's in the original, right? Um, it's something, it's part of the Twilight Zone world. Um, I thought that um, it did make me ask the question because she's as a writer trying to figure things out. It did make me ask the question, why do we watch the Twilight Zone? Mm-hmm. What do we take away from it? What do we enjoy about it? What fascinates about us? And that's something like Eleanor talks a lot about, how it makes her think about certain things. This this one made me say at the heart, because that's what they argue. What's the Twilight Zone really about? I mean, that made me think about that. And I did think that there could have been a meta episode. Again, would it have been a great episode? I mean, for example, I like the fact that whenever the cards are put in there, and all of a sudden the narration was about her. I like the fact that she was now in the Twilight Zone. I like the fact that the Twilight Zone is this flexible thing. It's this fluid thing that could even happen Mm -hmm. as you're trying to create an episode of the Twilight Zone. I kind of thought those were interesting ideas. Now, what they did with them, ridiculous to me. Exactly. It should have been one or the other. You know what I mean? There were some good things going on here, but, you know. It could have been a meta horror thing where she's in the Twilight Zone or this is happening to her and Rod Sterling should not have been an in input at all like it would as as a horror like episode i think it did really well executing that 
Um, but I think adding him to the end just it confused me because I was on yeah. board, and then I was like, "This is a to- this is totally different. This is a different message than you were trying to send at the beginning yeah. of the episode." It's, it's also just fucking lame. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, no, it like, is. Even just like we you scoffed stri- when we- you even when you strip away the metaphors or where it leads to or anything else, the idea and conceit of this is just so stupid. And maybe it's just because I'm more of like a the sort of cynical generation X uh, type, but like, yeah, I, I just, I can't, <laughs> I, I just, I just think it's so that. lame. Like it's after school special lame. It's regressive. Like it's not forward thinking at all. Yeah. Because this nostalgia lens thing, it, it has no place in the twilight zone. Like it does not push things forward. It keeps things always one foot in the past. Right. Um, something that Eleanor uh, wanted to bring up, was that in the in the in the introductory episodes of this series, the Fifth Dimension? There was a question that was posed of if there was an incentive to use fabulous and amazing effects, would something get lost? And in this episode, it seems like the gimmick of doing this weird uh, Serling composite—I don't—it something was most definitely lost, and they yeah. like. It, there does seem like there was some kind of like a writing confusion. She also observed that like, you know, are the Easter eggs symbolic or just cute? And it seems like in most cases they're playfully significant to the episodes, just there for fun. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then this episode it's saying, Oh, but nothing, it's not as significant as, uh, as you thought and probably not significant at all. But at the same time, here's Rod Serling. Like you can't, you can't, that's a mixed message. You can't do that. Yeah, Yeah, what's to have it both ways for sure. And I mean, one of the things I've admired about this series is, yes, there was the Easter eggs. And all of which are really lazy, too, by the way. They're all the same fucking major episodes of The Twilight Zone. Even at the end here with like time enough at last. Like, I mean, of course, we're going to reference that one. Like there's no there's no there's no like reverence for some of the real deeper, you know, episodes that are there, you know, but no, I mean, that's true. I mean, they it, it could have gone deeper. They could have got more creative with that. Um, they were definitely paying homage to the original, and I respected that. I was I was fine with that. Um, but I thought, I mean, and we, we asked this a lot of times during the series, um, you know, is this really what The Twilight Zone's about? Especially when we got topical episodes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we kind of had to, we kind of said, you know what, we're not surprised. This is Jordan Peele. Look what he does with the horror trope. You know, I mean, yeah. he's going to do something topical. So I've been really, you know, I, I've admired Peele's, willingness i'm sure he's faced plenty of criticism um you know for sort of doing his own thing with the twilight zone a lot of the time not all the time Mm -hmm. but a lot of the time was still you know putting little things back in there for old fans to sort of get a chuckle at you know if if you if that does it for you it hasn't been to me overly nostalgic at all um but now when you get into this yeah this this played at a totally different level of that i was i was uncomfortable that i see i was a little worried with them being overly nostalgic in the sense that it, it, it just all these little token references in there were just I, I leaned always more on the cute end of things because not only were just again, they were just so easy. Yeah. You know, like if you're going to do an Easter egg and you're going to do some, rev- you know, some some references Make us and look stuff, for it. Yeah, ma- yeah exactly. But, Make also, us but I, I know this could be sort of and I'll let you finish. This could be, um, um, sig- you know, this could signify some, a bigger problem. Right. But I also thought those things were so small. They're just cute little things. That's why they call them Easter eggs, right? But they I, weren't, though. I mean, they were literally were they? in your face in every fucking episode. Well, they were in the like, face, but they weren't like... Easter eggs, were to sh- me, are something yeah. you have to like fucking look for. They okay. are like hidden gems, Okay, then they, then they weren't good Easter eggs, No, right? exactly. But they were also so small. They weren't affecting how an actual episode works. This was the first time where I thought like the nostalgia thing um, was actually affecting 
what they did with an episode. It was, I, it was I agree driving on that. it. I agree I on didn't that. like that. But now in hindsight, basically, and especially to, to, to Cap's point, is that mm. even looking back at those, like, yeah. think about all those Easter eggs. They were all literally close-ups. Like I know. You know the the you have like the devil that ran you know that the, from the nick of time they zoom in on that they zoom in on the puppet for nightmare at thirty thousand at the feet. time we admired it but now you're saying after seeing something like this lap last episode maybe it wasn't actually I mean we actually oh, it's thought like they slavish were, devotion it's lazy, yeah now, now it's actually lazy it's funny because earlier in the season we were kind of I think admiring that a little bit because we at, thought they were taking a great deal of care to do that because at first it was like okay we got you know we got the nightmare at thirty thousand feet homage we've got the devil from nick of time we've got talking tina we've got these you know titular characters and And they kept repeating them but they kept repeating them and that was my problem what i'm trying to point out is i think it's interesting how this what they ended up doing with serling in this one and how they're looking back at the old and yeah of course like cap saying marching off towards the new one i think it's interesting how it makes us look back at the season and that's what cap's saying is part of the problem it doesn't match you know, no. Well, here's another part of the problem, uh, and and that is that there that this this episode only stood to further highlight how there are so many other things out there that are doing what this show is purported itself to be doing, and just not doing it. Well, hold on, let me back up. There's so many things out there that are doing what this show is attempting to do well, and this show isn't doing it at all. Case mm-hmm. in point, this episode called to mind extremely. Casper Kelly's too many cooks. There's a a person in the background of all these things, and then it there ends up being this weird pursuit that happens when a tell the like the framing of a film breaks down, and you see an actor run out of the film and start running through the studio and going through all these past scenes of things that have happened. It's the fucking same. Yeah, and and too many cooks, which is a 15 minute skit, um, a brilliant one I might add, but like is greater than any single episode in the series except for six series of freedom and there's i mean i just i recently watched a hot chip video a new hot chip video for a song called hungry child there's an eight minute long sort of like you know video film thing it's a better twilight zone episode than most of these episodes i mean i mean even i mean this is the obvious one but even like the best black mirror yeah, episode this not not one episode maybe point of origin for me and possibly, you know, Point of Origin, The Comedian, I think The Wonderkin were really were pretty strong episodes. But even then, I look back because I have a lot more hindsight to have with Black Mirror because it's been around for a few years. Mm-hmm. But those early episodes of Black Mirror are on another fucking level compared to the stuff that's oh, in this one. I completely and agree. I, and I think a lot of this comes back to something that um, my fellow co-host on The Losers Club and Halloweenies, Justin Gerber, pointed out in that... He almost checked out of the series when he found out that Jordan Peele himself wasn't doing any of the episodes and writing them. And I think that's a big part, too. And I think that's really kind of um, uh, it's a problem when you actually look back and say, all right, well, Jordan Peele. And this is someone that I looked at and I saw early on in those reviews. You could read in my review on Consequence Sound. I said, well, what I love about this is that we finally have a host that we can, you know, we can, we can, we have a confidence in. You know, he, we know that he's a writer and we know that he's connected in this world. And yes, his influence might have, you know, been there in the writer's room and everything, but he didn't write the episodes. And mm-hmm. my, he, he might have story credit for Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, but couldn't we have had one episode 
where he wrote it and 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 just show that you 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 can do it like that like like Serling could mm-hmm. who wrote the majority of the of scripts for the yeah. Twilight Zone and I think that's a huge problem especially when this is his show and yet there isn't one episode in the entire first season mm-hmm. that has his name as written by I mean co- and correct me if and I'm that's, wrong that's but a problem it is Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone it is Jordan yeah. Peele's Twilight Zone I mean based on everything the credits and everything we knew I mean I think. I think Rod Serling, I want to say he wrote like the first 13 or something. I mean, he was so, I mean, they have photos of him just like Mm -hmm. sitting there chugging away at cigarettes because he just lives in the writer's room. And and I get it that, you know, Jordan Peele was busy, you know, doing us and producing half a million different things that he's doing. But like, it's still astounding to me Mm -hmm. that like, I was even hoping at the end of the like when we were watching you were the credits waiting for it, yeah. and it, 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 it was pulling off the the, the credits because we didn't get who wrote this in the, in the emails. I don't think we mm-hmm. did, but so I, or at least I didn't look. I was just like hoping that like it said written by Jordan Peele and directed by Jordan Peele, just something to end the season with his signature on it, and we never got it. I mean, even if it was an episode that you didn't necessarily care for, the fact that he put his stamp on something in some way. I mean, I guess that's a question. I mean, I'm not as familiar with. The, the background workings of television mm-hmm. and the world of showrunners and producers and those things. I know some people, they get on Reddit, they get on wherever. They love talking that stuff. They love the inside behind. They love it more than they actually love the shows. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's, that's interesting to me that, you know, was Jordan Peele really, you know, she says in this episode, Sophie, I mean, obviously I want you on board. Well, how on board was Jordan Peele? Obviously it's Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Obviously he was involved in it. But, you know, there's a lot of ways that famous people in Flavors of the Month, and let's face it, he's a very talented guy, but he is a very big name right now. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of ways to get involved with something and not have your hand on a lot of the details. So I guess I am curious now that you bring that up. How involved was Jordan Peele? Was this more branding than it actually was Jordan Peele's The Twilight Zone? I I don't know the answer to that. I think it was more branding because to me, like a showrunner leaving a show or not, you know, leading the way for a television series can completely make or break a TV show. Um, if a showrunner leaves a TV show, mm-hmm. they ultimately typically suffer. Um, Gilmore Girls, final season. Or um, <laughs> Twin, Twin Peaks. Peaks. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a big fucking, uh, you know, obvious or, one. Or... Um, um, what was I? Oh, American Gods. So American mm-hmm. Gods first season was run by Brian Fuller and then he left. So the second season hasn't been run by him and they're trying to achieve the same aesthetic and overall tone. But when you don't have that person there who is, you know, quote unquote show running, it changes like, mm-hmm. it, and there are certain, like, do you think we'd have American horror story without, you know, fucking yeah. Ryan Murphy at the helm of it? We wouldn't. No. So it's odd to me that it's Jordan Peele's the twilight zone, but he has a million different writers, a million different directors, mm-hmm. you know, on this series. And it's like, we can't achieve an overall tone and consistency if it's not one person calling the shots. Yeah, yeah. I guess whatever level he is involved in right now, I can only imagine that's going to lessen as this show continues for future seasons. Of course, he's an Oscar nominee or he's an Oscar winner. (laughs) It also doesn't help that the show, in the end, just really didn't buzz or connect. And no. maybe again, it, it might be to. because of the CBS All Access barrier. There, I think that's what it is. But but I don't, you know, I think that's to a point. Because I don't think that if this show was really that good, mm-hmm. people would seek it out. Mm-hmm. And people yeah. have sought out millions of things left and right in the past if it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that the buzz and the hype on this show ever got to a point where people were like, ooh, I have to go seek out this show. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I just... You're not wrong. Well, I, I mean, I'm I'm scoping out the numbers for this show, The Fifth Dimension, and considering that it's it's chronicling a show that's behind a paywall... 
sometimes it does very well in in spite of it. So, you know, there is there's a listenership to this program which suggests that that's a percentage of the viewership of the larger program. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe Mm -hmm. it is, you know, there I think maybe there is something happening there. Well, I I guess the question now I have and Mm -hmm. this is kind of getting towards, you know, a, a little bit of a wrap up on feelings is that like. Are you even interested in the next chapter? Are you interested you could walk through the door with Sophie and Rod Serling? Uh, I think I am. Um, I enjoyed it enough. Um, I know it, it's interesting because we haven't had Cap's perspective this season. Obviously, um, Cap uh, didn't think very much of the series, especially when compared, and correct me if I'm wrong, but especially compared to other stuff that's out there. I'm not um, nearly as fluent in everything that's going on in, you know, in uh, contemporary TV. Um, I'm more of a classic television person, mm-hmm. you know, in that sense. Uh, I'm a music editor more than anything over at uh, at Consequence of Sound, um, who just loves The Twilight Zone, who grew up with it. So this is really, I'm not watching things that are maybe competing with this. So, you know, again, I, I don't necessarily, uh, you know, I can't do that comparison. But there was enough, you know, going on here that I enjoyed, Um I think, again, it tried to do its own thing, which disappoints me at the end where it didn't do its own thing. Yeah. It started off to, and then it didn't. Um, I thought, again, God, they, I, I like that they went topical in some cases, and a couple times they pulled off. I mean, there's, there's enough episodes. Let's just put this on. I'm rambling here. There's enough episodes that I came away saying, okay, I got enough out of that, you know, um, that I'm interested in more. Um, I think I could say that. I was thinking today, though, as much as I enjoyed some of these episodes, I would say there's a lot of flaws to a lot of them that prevent them from being great television. Mm-hmm. I think they're good or average television most of the time. I wasn't thinking of, I was thinking, God, how many, because one of the things I do before I watch something new, I'm likely to watch something else for its 50th time. Mm-hmm. I love to go oh, God, back same. and look at stuff, <laughs> right? How many of these episodes or this whole season, what's the likelihood you're really going to go back to it? None. Maybe one or two episodes, but maybe Maybe. not at all. I I would say that um, Glenn Morgan is the MVP of the series so far. And the Mm. work that he's done on this show, I'm I'm never going to forget. Blue Scorpion was okay. But A Traveler and Six Degrees of Freedom rocked my world. And I'm like, those are... I mean, those are shining beacons in this. And for all, like, I feel like everything else, all the other episodes surrounding those two pieces are total flotsam. But those two pieces um, are really memorable pieces of sci-fi anthology television that I'm probably never going to forget, especially Six Degrees of Freedom. And I, can I just point out real quick, mm-hmm. that's the first time the word flotsam has ever been used <laughs> on <laughs> this podcast. So yeah. going out the cat. <laughs> Very well done. You know, it's clear that you know Glenn Morgan. He's a producer on the show. Also, it all it does feel as if this is his show. I wasn't as high on 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 Morgan's episodes as you were. I I thought Six Degrees of Freedom was pretty solid. Mm -hmm. I didn't really like his two other episodes. Um, I thought the Blue Scorpion was was just missed its mark a little bit. And I felt that a traveler in the end, I I did enjoy while talking about it. It's I felt it was a little too. Um, uh, disassociated from a lot of its themes at the times. But for me, there are some episodes that I thought were just really solid. And I, and I, and again, I think that the three that I would possibly maybe go back to would be like point of origin, the comedian and Wonderkin. But the thing is, is that I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that 
any of those really demand to be rewatched. I don't think any mm. of them really demand to be rewatched because, again, so much of these themes that are being discussed in a lot of these episodes are so duh and obvious. And the I don't feel as if the punchlines were mm. so clever enough that and original enough that I would want to go back to look and see, oh, well, how did they yeah. do that? Which you is said, what most yeah. of the time I'm trying to do with a lot of the original Twilight Zone episodes. You said one of the themes you thought of Jordan Peele's reboot was to show us different viewpoints. Mm-hmm. And I agree, especially yeah. when it gets topical. It is trying to you know, allow for um, you know, people... Um, again, they were dumb moments for you mm-hmm. in a lot of these cases. But it was trying to allow for people for which they wouldn't be dumb moments... To sort of understand a little bit better, which makes me wonder behind this paywall, and if I'm th- I'm thinking what maybe the target audience might be. I wonder if he's he's really creating the show for the wrong audience. Uh, you know, it's not the audience that it's going to get to anyway. Too, I wonder. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I think also it would help that if if if, if a few more of these writers had, you know, look, you look at the original series; they were all writers that had you know a pedigree in sci-fi. Yeah. You know, in writing sci-fi and writing episodic television, there were definitely a few instances here, especially you know when you go back to replay, which people had never even written you know teleplays before, and I, that's a problem when you're and it dealing. Shows. And it that's shows. a problem. And this is this isn't just like you know, <laughs> this is the NFL. <laughs> no, I'm just like this is this is the you know this is the big leagues. Like you need to have like you know veteran writers, which is why like you know someone like Glenn Morgan could do that because he literally mm. has you know decades of you know yeah. you know experience under his belt. I mean, you can even take unconventional choices still, but uh, but people who who play in the genre, like Casper mm-hmm. Kelly, who did too many cooks, or uh, Fatal Farm, who have a similar like perverse sensibility of doing like reality warping vignettes and so on, like the RoboCop video, yeah, <laughs> like C twenty seven, or any of the last season of Lasagna Cat, yeah. which is just unreal. I mean, it, it, you, you want to talk about someone that knows how to do meta in a way that's going to blow your mind? Because that's my thing with meta is that. You know, in this this episode is so lazy in its approach to meta. Like, if you're going to do meta now, you need to fucking go all out on meta. And which is why it's so staggering that, you know, the writer, you know, of this um, has written for Rick and Morty, which is probably, look, I hate the fan base for Rick and Morty, but they know how to do meta better than most people out there. And you really got to achieve another level of it if you're going to mm-hmm. fucking do meta at this point. And, and it's, you can't just lean back on, you know, the the conventional like well actually this is just the real set you know like that doesn't do it you know mm-hmm. anymore and like to your point cap like all those names that you reference would have done something that would take meta to another level i feel yeah i mean and tim and eric's bedtime stories i mean like we know that jordan peele and tim heidecker have some kind of a relationship yeah and consistently uh he and eric wareheim have t- done in 15 minutes what this show fails to do in an hour mm-hmm. or 37 minutes as is the case may be but weird journeys that will give you some kind of experience that you're never going to forget. I mean, mm-hmm. generally a little bit more aimless than a Twilight Zone episode, but uh the whole point of the Twilight Zone is to take you somewhere you've never been, somewhere unusual. <laughs> and and that's just not fucking happening. No, it's not. So we just we just lost an octave somewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, here the, the thing that I would say is that all right, so if I was to, you know, designate some rules for the second season. Okay. I want 30 minute episodes no more easter eggs because we don't need the nostalgia of this the twilight zone is anti-nostalgia i agree with that too but again to my point i felt that a lot of the series tried to do that again i agree they put in things for fans and things you may not want to see 
And that, that's fine. I mean, I think that's debatable. Um, I think Jordan Peele tried to, just like he does with most of the things he's trying to do now, he tried to do something um, that, like you said, Michael, all, all season long, that shows worldviews. You know, mm-hmm. he's trying to um, do, so he, he believes that, uh, just like, so, uh, was it Sophie, was saying that, you know, art could do more than entertain. He believes that, or else he wouldn't do the sorts of things he does. No, and I agree yeah, with for that. Sure. No, and I think that the show really did do that well. And I think mm-hmm. that the focus on diversity and trying to show those diverse mm-hmm. voices is something that this show didn't do, didn't have in the so in beforehand. So here's my question, though. A lot of those episodes, or what, there was like four or five, let's say, very topical episodes or so. I mean, like, you could argue last week was about gun violence. Didn't have to be. No, the Blue it Scorpion, wasn't, right? but yeah. So let's say, like, five of the episodes were topical. And we thought that only one or two of those really kind of, uh, you know, carried its weight, so to speak. So if Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone is going to be one that tries to talk about the world around and what's going on, more so than something timeless like The Comedian or what's going on in someone's head like Nightmare 30,000 Feet, what does he have to do? Because those were... Sometimes the tone was off uh, from the writing. Sometimes it was clearly just rushed. The pacing was terrible. I, Sometimes the acting was stiff. Like, I what can tell has, you right now. You know, what has to get better? What do they have to show do to make those types of episodes tell. work? Yeah. Show versus tell. That's a good that's Stop a good telling role. us. Yeah. That, 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 that was the biggest folly with every one of those episodes that we're trying to be now. You're telling. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally to the point where they were doing it with exposition throughout the episode, and then you did it again and doubled down on the lesson at Ooh, the end. I think, I think, I think tripled and quadrupled down before yeah. you got to lesson. Usually, yeah. there's some very, very painful lines it's of dialogue. Show. We like point of origin because they went about as light on the telling mm-hmm. as much on the revealing as they had. Yeah. It could have gone lighter. Yeah. But I agree with you. That would be that would be my first rule. Yeah. Uh, that would be my first rule. Uh, show us more, tell us less. Yeah. I agree with you on that. That'd be a great yeah. rule for the second season. Assume your audience is a Twilight Zone audience. Assume they're sophisticated. Yeah. They don't need you know banged over the head with yeah. them. Because Sterling certainly didn't. Exactly. You know, so why Make would our you job tougher. Make us work. And I don't just have to. I don't want to just have to watch you know Peel's uh, narrations yeah. or listen for a couple lines of dialogue to know what the episode was about. Yeah, that's that's a good that's a good point. The um. Uh, something that Eleanor wanted to, to put out there, I'll read her her prepared statement. She said uh, that, that, and this, this is reflecting on on how it just isn't necessarily at the same caliber, even from a grammatical perspective and coming from Sterling, that's really important. She says, for the grammar perverts out there, it did bother me that Sterling said at the end of this episode, she has awoken, which while technically possible to be correct, this choice of words is controversial and doesn't flow which makes it particularly frustrating coming from, quote, Serling's, quote, mouth. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Serling was a writer first. Mm-hmm. That's what he was doing. He was alongside people like Reginald Rose, who did 12 Angry Men. Mm-hmm. He was sitting there, and he was writing things that we think of as literature today. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I agree with that. And that's where, when the writing is really, really, when it's, again, telling and not revealing, well, it's when it's a- really ham-fisted, when it's painfully so, when the dialogue just doesn't flow, when we hear things like um, Eleanor came up with right there, she pointed out that that to me sometimes is uh, where it. Uh, I'd like it to go back towards the original. Yeah. The quality of the writing is definitely not always there. Well, let's doors this. Now we have done all we could do. If we've been successful, well and good, there are no problems. But if, on the other hand, this final treatment has not achieved the desired result. Please remember, Miss Tyler, that you can still live a long and fruitful life among people of your own kind. 
All right, Miss Tyler. Here comes the last of it. I wish you every good luck. Let's doors the episode and then the season. Cap, let's start with you. All right. Um, I'm going to give the comedian three doors. Nightmare at 30,000 feet, two doors. Replay, three doors. A traveler, four doors. Wonderkind, eh, two doors. Six uh, Degrees of Freedom, call. five doors. That wow. was an untouchable episode. Uh, not all men, one, if not zero. So bad. Yes, I agree. Point of Origin, four. Blue Scorpion, three. And Blurry Man, uh, it was well shot, and there were some cool things about it, but it's so confusing. It is so close to being a one, but I'm going to give it a two. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we don't have to do, because we've already given our doors and past right, episodes right. and Cap hasn't. Up, so, you know, we, you was know, there anything we'll in there that, that? Was there anything in there that Cap said that shocked anyone? Uh, just the, the Wonderkin. Wonder <laughs> I'm with on the Wonderkin. I, I know. I know. Wouldn't I get a one and a half or two? I thought it was a pointless episode. Nah, and I, obviously we all hated the, uh, the one about the meteors. Yeah, I think everyone that pretty much agree awful. on that one. Yeah. And also, I've heard from people that when I say meteors, it sounds like I'm saying meat eaters. So, <laughs> wow. so meteors. It's a very, uh, it sounds very carnivorous when meteors. I pronounce it. That could have been a more interesting episode. <laughs> and possibly, we yeah. could have done an hour and 20 on that. But let's, let's okay, Cap, I'm sorry. So what, what was your overall <laughs> season rating? I guess it was averaging out to a to a three. Um, and, and you know what's what's funny about these numbers is these numbers are reflective of, I was trying to consider... Um, the the Twilight Zone as a whole, but even still, these numbers ended up just reflecting their status within the confines of this season because truly most of these can't be judged against the originals. Like Replay, for example, has some really strong, really genuinely tremendously strong parts to it, but then falls apart in that third act. Mm-hmm. It does not hold a candle to many tighter Twilight Zone episodes that have strong messages like that, which is a shame. No. And does go back to maybe an hour is wrong. Maybe these should not be an hour long. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it in the confines of what this series has created for itself in terms of quality, they do they are all it's sort of middle of the road. But there are of course some significant exceptions to that rule. Yeah. Well, Sammy, doors this. So for <laughs> the episode, I'm probably gonna give it probably like a two and a half door. Mm-hmm. Um, only because I loved the horror aspect of this no. episode. I thought it like I I love horror. It's probably my favorite genre aside from fantasy above all else. So there were moments in this episode where I like genuinely was like, oh, that was that was scarier. That did something for me, and then it just completely fell apart in the third act, which almost every episode in this whole entire series has done. It it's almost like. Stephen King and his coke ears like really didn't know how to finish a story. And and that's unfortunate because some of them started off really strong and then ended up being like, you know, twos or threes for me that could have been easily fives if they knew how to, you know, stick a landing. Um, the only reason I will probably go on to watch the second season, if not for this podcast, is because I am such a completionist yeah. um, that I can't not finish something, uh, regardless of hating it. I mean, shit, I've watched fucking 14 seasons of Supernatural. I think that should go without saying that. <laughs> I like to finish things despite them being good or not. Mm-hmm. Um, for the overall season, if I'm doing it out of five, again, I, I think I'm 
I'm going to do two and a half. Like, I really did. I had more qualms with the series than I had positive things to say about it. If you go on IMDb right now, it's currently at a six out of ten. And for the last, like, seven years, I have stuck to only watching things with a seven or above on IMDb. (laughs) Um, And so that disappoints me that I have made an exception now for this television show. Yeah. Well, Matt... Why do we? Why do we think it's coming back? What are the theories? If it hasn't, oh been yes, successful? it's been it's been uh, signed on for a second. Oh season. yeah, but why do we think it's it was signed on? I think been... because I think the initial buzz and the, yeah. the the response that CBS All Access had in the first few episodes was enough for them. And to they go, need oh, content. They, they if they want to be a streaming service like a juggernaut, you know, such as mm-hmm. Hulu or Netflix, they need they need content, especially yeah. now to compete with Disney Plus. Um, if they don't have a show like this, it, yeah. people aren't. I mean, the yeah. only other fucking show on CBS All Access that people actually maybe pay to have the streaming service is the Star Trek show on yeah, there. Yeah, Star Trek Discovery. So. Well, maybe uh, CBS All Access can uh, take a hold of the tick since Amazon wouldn't greenlight it for a third season. That's a worthwhile program on a streaming service that people should watch. Well, they're going to have The Stand next year, too. So yeah. I mean, there's going to be some reasons to go on to CBS All Access. So we'll see. I mean, Matt, mm-hmm. doors it. Uh, I think it's appropriate we use doors because this is the end, uh, <laughs> at least of season one. Yeah. This episode was actually very, very, it, it was a microcosm to me of most of the season where there was something I was on board with. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was with it. I thought, I mean, it was, again, I've explained why I thought it was genuinely scary at times, and I was ready to go with it. And then they either, you know, throughout the season the pacing was off or they rushed a major theme, a really rich theme, or they tried to do too much or they clearly didn't know what they wanted to do. Uh, there's been so many times this season where 50, 60, 70% of the episode I was on board with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they just, they couldn't execute. Like Sammy said, stick the landing this episode, another case of that. I'll give it two doors. Oh. If, if, if it wasn't for the, the Field of Dreams, Rod Serling ending. I, I give it more. Yeah, uh, I liked a lot of what was going on, uh, but two doors for it, and we've talked enough about it for the season. Um, I think two episodes are totally unwatchable for me. The Wonder Kind and uh, Not All Men, my carnivore one. Yeah, Not All Men. Those two I couldn't even watch. The other eight of them, I'd say there were two or three episodes I really, really enjoyed or loved. So you're still dealing with, after all that's said and done, five or six episodes where they had me, they had me, they had me, and then they lost me. And that's frustrating. It gives me hope that there's some sort of learning curve. And they could figure that out. Maybe it's different writers. Maybe it's Jordan Peele being more involved than he was. Maybe it's a 30-minute show and not a 45-minute show or an hour show. I'm not sure. But it gives me a little bit of hope that they can correct it because they hooked me in. And I mm. wanted to enjoy it. Many of the times, even when it came out sort of flat, it didn't stick the landing. So for the season, I'd say, again, like most shows had me 60% there before they lost me. Um, so I'm going to go 60%. I'll go three out of five doors. I'm going to go three out of five doors for the season as well, Matt. And yeah. I, think that's a, I think that's a fair rating for this because when, it, this, when the show was pretty high as it was with the, you know, for me, the comedian or, um, you know, the Wonderkin, because I'm going to go flip side that one wow. on you too. Um, going to die on that hill. And also Point of Origin. <laughs> or die on that operating table. The, the, <laughs> or on that operating table. <laughs> yeah. I thought all three of those were highs. So there's definitely thrills to this. I thought there was a lot of promise 
exactly. with regards That's to what uh, Jordan Peele. Promise is a great word. Yeah, with what Jordan Peele can bring. And I think that, you know, possibly next season, since he's not going to have us and he's not going to be in pre-production or post-production on that, he could possibly, you know, go sit down and write a couple episodes. That'd be awesome. I'm very interested to see what happens with the second season, to see where it goes and if they are going to move forward as they suggest in this episode. But, oof, yeah, this episode... Surprising because uh, Alex Rubens, the writer, actually wrote The Comedian. So I'm shocked that, you know, it was such a, a letdown in terms of the bookend. But uh, so episode for me is is getting a one. You could, I think, horror elements and sci-fi elements and the, the scares are easy to do. If you've been in the business as Simon Kinberg has for decades, and I feel you should be able to nail those things. But it's such a setback to everything that this show was kind of pretending to be in those like first few episodes that I was just kind of sitting there mouth agape that this could happen. And also PS2 Rod Serling <laughs> is just a disservice to not only just this <laughs> entire series, but the original one as well. So um, let's not do that again. So yeah, for me, I think that's a, that's a fair three and a, and a one. So there we go. Now you said Jordan Peele, there won't be any us in the future for him, but will there be us in the future, Michael? Well, that's a good question, Matt. And that's going to depend on you, travelers. You're going to have to get the word out for us. You're going to have to leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts, on uh, Stitcher, on wherever you can leave reviews for <laughs> podcasts, wherever you're listening to it. Please just give us those old five stars. Give us five doors. You know, I think we did a pretty good job this season. And also follow us on our socials, the Fifth Dimension Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Sammy, you, uh, you've you been keeping that I'm updated. trying my darndest. You're going to keep that black and white aesthetic going? I sure as shit am. All right. And then you can also follow us individually. Matt, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter. You can talk to me about the show and a lot of other things there. And it's at Mr. Matt Mellis. So M-R-M-A-T-T-M-E-L-I-S. Come all talk right. to me. I'm lonely. Oh, you're not too lonely. I'm there with you all the time. Like I said, I'm lonely. That is a stab to the back with no punchline like the Twilight Zone usually has it. And Sammy, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at SRKDoll. It's based, it's my initials. So S-R-K-D-A-L-L. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we can chat about various pop culture things. I'm always willing to, you know, partake in a convo about that. And then again, on on the Instagram as well for The Fifth Dimension, I'm running it. So uh, please make sure if you're listening to us to tag us and I'll maybe add you to the story. Oh, how about that? And Cap, where can all our travelers find you? Well, first of all, if you're going to be missing out on Eleanor's tremendous insights like you've missed out on on this episode, uh, you can find her on Twitter at Eleanor Sparkle. As for me, I'm at Cap Blackard wherever you do social networking. Um, in fact, you can find both Eleanor and I in a forthcoming episode of my long-running podcast, Nerdy Show, where uh, Eleanor and I are going to be getting, uh, getting very up close and personal and, uh, and digging into some, uh, some major life changes in fascinating ways. She's going to be interviewing me about my uh, gender transition and uh, a lot of other topics in the orbit of that. You can also hear her on the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program in episode three of season two. She plays a librarian. That's audio fiction, tabletop role-playing turned into an immersive cinematic audio drama. You can find it at CthulhuMystery.com. Well, I'm going to be looking for both of those. Yeah, uh, Especially definitely. the project that you just announced on here and is a very longtime friend of yours. That uh, seems like my number one podcast uh, episode for this summer, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, you, and again, I didn't mention this also, but you could find, uh, obviously, with the Losers Club and Halloweenies, we're going to be talking about everything in Stephen King and... 
Freddy Krueger. And uh, spooky shit. Spooky stuff. So we're around. And uh, you'll be around too. And, you know, and hopefully we'll all return next year to talk about... uh, Jordan Peele's The Twilight Zone season two on uh, CBS All Access. Maybe even before that, we'll talk about season one. Spaceball twos, the quest for more money. Yeah, we're going to talk about (laughs) space. We'll have a special Spaceballs episode in the fifth dimension now. Um, (laughs) It's been a long night and it's been a long journey. And I think we all need to get some much needed sleep. But until next time, if there is one, keep your eyes on the stars and your feet on the ground. And we'll be waiting here in the fifth dimension. Consequence Podcast Network.